All right. Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to rightly divide the Word of God for the people of God. And we have been making our way uh, through the book of Galatians uh, over the past several months. And uh, last time we were together, we were in session 23. So, And we wrapped up chapter number four. Uh, let me see right here is on the website. Uh, yeah, we finished chapter 22, and uh, we saw how Paul continued to make his arguments against the Judaizers who were attempting to lead the Galatian grace believers back into law. And he does this by allegorically comparing Hagar with Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac, and his conclusion is that they needed to cast out the legalists. So today we're going to start session 23, and we're going to pick up in verse number or chapter number 5. So um, just remember that all of these recordings have been placed on YouTube, Rumble, uh, Spotify. I'm just putting them everywhere, anywhere I can. Remember the the Acts commentary uh, that we, we wrapped up. You can get that over at um, Amazon uh, for that. So, uh, but anyways, uh, good to see you, Scott. Good morning, brother. I hope you're doing well today. Been a while. Uh, been on the road a lot. Pennsylvania last week, Ohio next week, or this week. So, but I've been studying. Uh, like I said yesterday, I think Chapter 4 was one of the most difficult uh, Difficult chapters for me, just going back and forth between Paul and who Paul's speaking to, Hagar and Sarah. You know, of course, his whole argument there was, you know, you don't want to be under Hagar. <laughs> you don't want to be under the bondwoman. Uh, it's going to generate nothing but strife, just as there was strife between Ishmael and Isaac. Um, and, of course, he concludes uh, chapter number four with, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture, you need to throw out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman. Uh, in other words, they're not compatible. They're, they're not going to get along. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but we are children of the free. So we are under grace. We are called to liberty uh, through grace. So chapter number five is where we're going to pick up today. Uh, chapter number five and uh, verse number one. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, that's what he just finished talking about with Hagar and Sarah. Uh, the yoke of bondage is a reference to being uh, being put back under the law. Now, one argument that legalists will make is that those of us on the grace side believe in what they call sloppy grace. Um, but understand something, liberty is not a license to sin, and that's what we're going to see as we work our way through chapter number five. Um, it's not a license to sin, and anyone who believes that it is a license to sin is just as deceived as those who are choosing the yoke of bondage. <clears throat> Paul spoke to this in Romans 8.15 when he said, 
If ye have not received the spirit of bondage, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, uh, but you have received the spirit of adoption. We are <clears throat> in a relationship now. And in that relationship, it's not a license to sin. Uh, just because I love a person, that does not give me a license to hurt that person. Even though I could, I could. I'm, I'm close enough. Those who hurt you the most are the ones who are closest to you. <laughs> you and I both know that. Um, there's an old expression my family used to say, nobody can hurt you like family. And, and that's because they are close. They're closer to you than anybody else. They can get a shot in that someone else can't get in. And nothing hurts worse than being hurt by someone who's close. Um, I, I've heard pastors say uh, a sheep bite hurts worse than a wolf bite um, because it's unexpected. Um, you don't expect a sheep someone that you've tended, someone that you've cared for, someone that looks so gentle, someone uh, so delicate, someone that doesn't have fangs, you know, to turn around and take a bite out of you. Uh, wolves, I mean, if, if they bite you, it's expected. You know, you're stupid. You shouldn't have got that close. <laughs> um, so uh, in that, that relationship, it's not a license to sin. And again, anyone that teaches that, anyone that walks in that, I, I have to seriously question their relationship uh, with the Lord. Uh, I think they're kidding themselves on many levels if they continue to participate in that. Um, <clears throat> now, notice what he says in verse number two. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye <clears throat> be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor now to keep the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you whosoever you are are justified by the law. Ye have fallen from grace. So <clears throat> notice what Paul is saying here. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. His point here is that if you are trusting in your circumcision, again, back under Hagar, back under the law, back under the yoke of bondage, if you are trusting in your circumcision or any other work of the law, for that matter, to save you, you are not trusting in what Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. Uh, in reality, you are actually trusting in your works for your salvation. You are not placing 100% trust and faith in the completed work of Christ on the cross. As such, he says, Christ has become of no effect to you. In other words, you are saying that you're trusting your justification to be your works and not Christ's death. You see, faith plus nothing is faith. Faith plus anything is works. We have to have 100% faith in Christ, not faith plus I got to be baptized. Faith plus I got to I got to walk. I got to be good. Faith plus, 
you know, I gotta, <clears throat> I gotta receive the baptism of the Spirit. Faith plus, I gotta endure to the end. Faith plus, you know, and I, I gotta do my devos every morning. I gotta go to church every Sunday. Um, all of that may or may not be a byproduct of that faith, but it's not part of that faith. It's faith plus nothing. Paul is saying to the Galatians who came to faith through the grace gospel that he preached unto them and were now adding the law to it that you've actually fallen from grace. Christ is of no effect to you if you're doing this. Now, I do not believe that he is saying that they've lost their salvation. Instead, he is simply saying that they have departed from the teaching of grace through faith only. Um, grace is grace. If you gain it by grace, you can't lose it through works. Uh, the bottom line is that if you could gain or if we could gain salvation or lose salvation, then it was never grace at all because I had to do something to get it. So if I have to do something to get it, then I got to do something to lose it. That's not, that's not grace. That's not faith. Um, anyone who does not teach, and again, I, I clash with uh, other Bible teachers and other believers over this, some of them dear friends. Um, anyone who does not teach eternal security, in my humble opinion, is misinterpreting the Scriptures. Eternal security, now listen to this, eternal security is a dispensation of grace doctrine only. Okay, eternal security is a dispensation of grace doctrine only. It was not in effect under the law. You had to keep the law. It was not in effect during the Gospels or in the teaching of the kingdom gospel, nor will it be in effect under Daniel's 70th week and the coming tribulation. It is for the church only. It is for the body of Christ only, the doctrine of eternal security. Because only we are functioning under grace. They were not under grace in the Old Testament. They were not under grace in the Gospels. They will not be under grace uh, in the tribulation period. Uh, anyone who believes that you can lose your salvation is getting it from passages, passages that concern the nation of Israel and not the body of Christ. Uh, again, Old Testament, Gospels, Hebrew epistles. If you if you tr if you read the Old Testament, and the Gospels, and the Hebrew epistles, yes, you will see uh, threats about losing it. <laughs> but Paul never taught that one could lose their salvation in his epistles. He never taught that, and churches uh, can fall from teaching grace by adding works, and many of them do, as necessary for salvation. But an individual can never lose their salvation, period. And anyone that comes with an argument otherwise is quoting scriptures out of context. 
they're not quoting them from Pauline epistles. They're quoting them from the Old Testament. They're quoting them from the Gospels, or they're quoting it from the Hebrew epistles. They're not quoting it from Paul. So, the doctrine of eternal security is a dispensation of grace doctrine only. Again, that's why we have to rightly divide the Word of God. If you don't rightly divide the Word of God, you're going to be all over the place. You're going to be under the yoke of bondage. You're going to, you're going to be back under the law, and Christ isn't going to profit you anything because you're not trusting in his completed work on the cross. Now, notice uh, verse, verse number five, verses five and six. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So remember that the issue of circumcision was why Paul had went to Jerusalem to meet with the twelve. It was that whole issue of circumcision. Uh, you remember in Galatians 2.12, For before that certain came from James, did James teach circumcision? Yes. Why? Because James was not under grace. James taught the kingdom gospel as a requirement for salvation. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with Gentiles, but when we were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were the circumcised. So he's talking about Peter. Okay. So again, the whole issue was circumcision. Um, in Acts 15, 2, you remember before the Jerusalem Council, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So again, they were already putting them back under Hagar. They were already putting them back under the yoke of bondage, and that's what Paul is addressing here. That was the whole purpose of the Council of Jerusalem, to establish the fact that Paul and his grace gospel, the mystery that had been revealed unto him, did not require the keeping of the law. And they walked away, and I'm shocked at how many years I did it. I'm shocked at how I, I sat in a church the other night up, up, up in the north, and I watched a pastor, well-respected, divide acts, and just blew over it. <laughs> I mean, they did not walk away from the Council of Jerusalem teaching the same thing, Okay. Uh, they walked away agreeing to teach two different things. Uh, Paul walked away uh, preaching the grace gospel to Jews and Gentiles, um, Gentiles primarily. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. The 12 walked away still very much teaching uh, the kingdom gospel uh, to the nation of Israel. Um Except for here and there, they never went to Gentiles. Not necessarily purposefully, unless God called them to do something unique. Their focus still stayed on the nation of Israel until the day they died. So, as you're reading the Hebrew epistles, which is anything 
uh, the reason we call them the Hebrew epistles is because they were written to the Hebrews, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you look over here, <coughs> you have right here on my little thing, you know, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all that is written to the nation of Israel. Half of the book of Acts was written to the nation of Israel until Paul came on the scene, and that's why we call it a transitional book. It started to transition from Peter to Paul, from the from the kingdom gospel to the grace gospel, from Jerusalem to Antioch. There's a transition taking place, which culminates in the book of Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. So Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, you know, all of these, uh, Colossians and Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus and Philemon are the Pauline epistles. Everything we know about the grace gospel is found in the Pauline epistles. It's not found in the gospels. And then everything after Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews, James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation, those are what we call the Hebrew epistles. And the reason we call them the Hebrew epistles and not the Gentile epistles is because they were written to the Hebrews. <laughs> and they were written to Hebrews who were still very much uh, under the law, Hebrews who were still very much looking for um, the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom. Um, so again, um, we need to remember why Paul was was having such a hard time here because these Judaizers were saying that these grace believers had to be circumcised. And that's the whole purpose of Paul going to Jerusalem. His point is that while once circumcision meant something as a requirement under the law, you know, um, it doesn't now under grace. Uh, Romans 2.25, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. You know, if you're under the law, but we're not under the law. So, for we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. How? By faith. Because in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. But faith is what it is about now. Now notice in verse number 7, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. In other words, you guys were doing so well until the Judaizers came on the scene and confused you uh, that you should not obey the truth. Um, I used to tell students uh, that there is no fellowship with error. Uh, fellowship, I used to say, is just two fellows in a ship who are going the same way. Uh, the synonyms are companionship and communion. In other words, there is no companionship with error. There is no communion, no oneness with error. Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? The obvious answer is no, they cannot. They will either clash or, or one of them will sell out to the other, or they'll just 
live in a state of compromise with each other, which pretty much represents most of what's going on in the church today. That's what evangelicalism has turned into, uh, just a big compromise uh, with error, you know, why can't we all just love each other and get along, you know? Well, why can't we all just rightly divide the word of truth? <laughs> how about we did that? How about we just agreed we'd rightly divide the word of truth, you know? And how about you stop quoting Hebrew epistles and you stop quoting the Gospels in the Old Testament um, and trying to combine that with the doctrine of grace? Why don't we do that? To me, that seems so much easier. Again, I, ju I just find myself, the more convinced I become of the rightness of right division, I, 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 I still love, I still, <laughs> I, I still, uh, you know, uh, have a bit of communion, uh, but we just disagree, you know, and, and the more I understand it, the, I sit and I listen to people talk and I listen to preachers preach and, you know, and they start talking about the church being born in Acts 2 and they start talking about the need for this and you got to speak in tongues and, you know, and just, you know, again, they're parking, uh, they're parking in somebody else's space, <laughs> you know, and it just, you know, it doesn't mean I don't love them and, and I, and I'm not going to say necessarily that, um, you know, I'm not saying they're not saved, but I am saying they're not rightly dividing the word of truth and they're causing a lot of division in the body of Christ. Um, <clears throat> now notice here he says, ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Um, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Um, Who's he talking about? I think that he's talking about himself <laughs> because in Galatians 1, 6, you'll remember, he said, let me get over there. Galatians 1, 6. My computer's kind of acting up. Let's see. Galatians 1, 6. It's not going to come out. All right. Galatians 1, 6. He says, um, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of Christ. I believe he's referring to himself there. You know, he's the one that called you. In other words, he's saying, I'm not to blame for the heresy that you've started to follow because you remember I'm the one that called you unto grace. And then notice in verse 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Um, in other words, he's saying, you need to get rid rid of this fallacious doctrine that is being pushed on you. Um, he said something similar to the Corinthians. He said, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. In other words, it doesn't take much leaven to leaven the whole thing. In other words, it doesn't take much error to pervert the truth. Uh, so the bottom line is saying you cannot mix error. And it doesn't matter how, not even if it's just a little pinch. If you put just a little pinch of error and you try to mingle that with the truth, you're going to end up with error. Okay? <laughs> error plus truth equals 
error, okay? Um, you can't mix the two. Too many in the church today are comfortable with death in the pot. <laughs> they're, they're comfortable with death in the pot. Um, reminds me of the story in, in 2 Corinthians, or 2 uh, Kings 4, uh, and Elijah came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on a great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine. And he also gathered thereof wild gourds, his lapful, and he came and shred them into the pot of, pot of pottage, for they knew them not. And they poured out the men to eat. And it came to pass that as they were eating of the pottage, they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. I think that we have become all too um, comfortable with eating uh, from the pot of error. how once the death was thrown in the pot, how do you avoid the death? I mean, once the poison is in the soup, how can you eat around the poison? Uh, I mean, you might be able to, you know, a piece of steak or something, but you can't with soup. <laughs> I mean, you can't mix the two. Uh, it it perverts the whole thing, and and that's what we're doing in the church today. That's what, you know, and the older you get um, and the more mature you get, the more black and white it becomes. Uh, The more you understand the scriptures, as soon as you see a teacher starting to go off onto the side of the road, go off into quoting kingdom, into grace, you begin to see the error and you begin to see the problems that he's causing by confusing the people of God. Um, Notice he says in verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Paul expresses confidence that the Galatians will do the right thing. Um. You know, sometimes we just trust God in people and not necessarily people. <laughs> I trust that 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 the Lord is faithful uh, because I don't trust you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. So he's expressing his confidence that the Galatians will end up doing the right thing. However, notice he has nothing positive to say about those who are causing the trouble, those who are dropping uh, death in the pot. Um, he says they are going to bear his, he is going to bear his judgment. Now, it's interesting that he uses the personal pronoun he uh, when he speaks of the Judaizers. Um, in Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatian, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? Who hath bewitched you? Galatians 1.7, 
um, <clears throat> which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. In Galatians 2, 4, and that because of false brethren brought in unawares, they've come to privily spy out your liberty. And even in Acts 15, 1, for certain men, but now he's moving from that plural to a, a, a single pronoun here, a personal pronoun. He will bear his judgment. Um, it seems that he had one particular person in mind. Um, and there's no doubt as Paul began to understand the situation and began to identify the key players. I mean, it, it doesn't take long to figure out who's leading the charge. <laughs> it doesn't take long. It doesn't take too much of, uh, you know, of a sleuth to figure it out. I, I pastored long enough, and I'm sure some of you have been in ministry long enough. It, it doesn't take long to figure out who the ringleader is, uh, who the one is that, who, who the one is pushing it, who's behind it. So it seems like he had a particular person in mind. Um, <clears throat> and then I can't help myself, but why is he being so harsh? <clears throat> He's being harsh because <clears throat> they are confusing the body of Christ. Anyone that it brings confusion into the body of Christ, whether it be purposefully or in ignorance, uh, they're troubling the body of Christ. I mean, they say you're saved by faith and that not of works, but then they turn around and say, but you got to be baptized. You know, you're saved by faith, not of works, but but you got to take the sacraments. You know, you, you're saved by faith, not of works, but, but you know, it's got to be followed up with evidence of speaking in tongues, you know. I mean, I mean, that's so confusing because you're saying the word faith in the same sentence. You're saying it's grace, not of works, but then you're tacking a work onto it. It's bringing confusion to the body of Christ. You're, you're threatening people with, well, if you don't do it this way, you're going to lose your salvation. Well, you know, you're, <clears throat> I mean, you're quoting other scriptures out of context. I mean, whether they know it or not, they, they're troubling people because they are intermingling um, works and grace or law and grace. Um and that's why James, well, that's why Paul is so harsh. It reminds me of James 1, my brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Uh, in other words, you need to think twice before you open your mouth. And, and that's why I think this has been such a, a journey for me because I realize that, that people, um, They've heard it one way for so long that when you finally say something different, they look at you like you're a heretic. Um, I've had people, you know, listen to my studies, you know, and just go ballistic over it and say that I've fallen into heresy, um, you know, and they make me out to be the troublemaker. You know, when in fact, I don't think I'm the troublemaker. <laughs> I think I'm just rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, and you're not comfortable with that anymore. I think evangelicalism has so watered down um, Christianity that was so watered down true um, 
uh, true grace through faith that, you know, anyone that teaches it the right way looks like it's the wrong way. <laughs> you know, I mean, they've called white, black, and black, white for so long, you know, that, that they just see gray in everything. They're confused about everything because everything has been questioned, you know, um, so, you know, that's a whole different sermon that I could preach. Um, but I pity people who now who just can't see how beautiful the mystery is, how beautiful grace is. And and he's going to go on and, and talk about this. This is, this is beautiful if we get there. I don't know. We'll see. Um, in verse 11, and I, brethren... If I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Again, Paul is making it clear that he is not teaching circumcision. As a matter of fact, most of Paul's accusers and attackers were doing so because he did not teach that circumcision was required for salvation. And he says, that's why I am suffering. Because I refuse to teach, circumcision is a requirement for salvation. And he goes on, he says, I would they were even cut off that trouble you. Again, harsh words, but warranted. He is referring to self-mutilation. Um, there in that verse, uh, I would that they were even cut off that trouble you. Um, cut off. Uh, is to amputate, to mutilate. <laughs> uh, some of the other translations, I think it's the NAS, verse 12, would that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Um, Self-mutilation. I think the NIV has a way of saying it too. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> um, so he said, I would that they were even cut off that trouble you. Uh, for brethren, ye have been called into liberty. But don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but serve, but love one another. When we walk in liberty instead of the law, it frees us to serve others because that yoke of bondage is no longer on us, holding us down. And I believe it's because we are comfortable now in our relationship with God ourselves. We're not under condemnation <laughs> anymore. It's, it's freeing knowing that there is nothing that I can do that would make God love me anymore. There's nothing that I can do that would make me more saved tomorrow than I am saved today. It's 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 comforting in uh, in Romans eight, in verse number one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what what the law was powerless to do. It was weakened by sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in sinful 
men. You know, that, that that's freeing. Um, but he warns, but don't use that freedom, don't use that liberty as an occasion to sin. Um, he said something similar in Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Of course not. Uh, or that grace may abound? No. We, we don't use our freedom for that. And again, like I said before, anyone that goes down that road, they're just as guilty of those who are going down the legalistic road. Um, and then notice here in verse 14 and 15, I'm pretty sure this is the end of my notes. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you will love your neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. So following the same thought of serving others as a result of the liberty that we walk in, we serve others out of love. You see, law has a tendency to lead to self-righteousness. And self-righteousness becomes all about self. Um, self-righteousness always leads to division, not love. Self-righteousness leads to nothing but hatred and separation. It, it, it's the result of us checking our own boxes compared to somebody else's box. Paul told the Corinthians that they should not measure themselves by themselves or compare themselves among themselves. It's not wise for us to do that. And it's freeing when I don't have to do that, when I don't have to compare myself to you or you compare yourself to me. It's freeing. It, it allows us to serve and love others because it's no longer about me. It's no longer about my box getting checked. Um, so I guess that's about as far as I've gotten. Uh, let's see. Next time we get together, uh, let's see. We'll end up in Galatians 5, and we got down to verse number 14 just now. There you go. 15, biting and devouring one another. Watch out, you'll be destroyed. Get back to the King James there. Um, and then next time we get together, we'll pick up in verse number 16. So um, good morning, Matt. God bless you, brother. Scott, appreciate you guys. Death in the pot. <laughs> Amen. Uh, it's everywhere. And as you begin to rightly divide the word, I mean, like I said, you cannot eat around poison in the soup. Um, you just need to stay away from it. And I find that some of the sweetest fellowship I've had is, is by brothers like you guys, uh, seeing uh, the mystery and understanding um, grace and Pauline grace. Um, I began to identify myself as a Pauline grace uh, believer. Uh and again, you're going to get looked at. Uh, you're going to get condemned. You're going to. They're going, people going to think you've you've fallen off in the heresy. But I'm a I'm a history guy, you know. And as I go back and I look at some of these old guys and their writings, actually, I think we are going back to the way 
it was initially taught. Uh, when the word was indeed rightly divided, I think it was Scott. I've still got a study that he sent me on the Paulicians, how we are so much like the Paulicians who were condemned for following the teachings of Paul. Um, so, but anyway, I encourage you guys and we'll, we'll stay in the word and we'll get back together again next Sunday as we continue to study our way through the book of Galatians together. God bless you. I hope you have a great Lord's Day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for our good.